good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, again, it's funny, as, as he was saying, Jonathan, the only time anyone calls me Jonathan, that was my mom when I was in trouble. So everyone calls me Johnny, so you can call me Johnny. Uh, but it's so great to be with you all this morning. Um, you know, there are some, some little details I left out there in, in the bio that I sent over. Um, you know, one of those being, I'm from Massachusetts, New England native, uh, been in Massachusetts my whole life. Um, just really feel the Lord is wanting me to stay here in New England and, and really help uh, bring revival to a place that used to be so spiritually rich. Um, this, is, this is where the foundation of our country started, here in New England. And, um, you know, it's sad that we veered far from that, but I believe um, the church, we can turn things around with the power of the Holy Spirit and God using us in a powerful way. So I'm just thankful for that opportunity. Um, you know, being from Boston, I'm a diehard Celtics fan. I don't know how, how the Celtics are around here, you know. but And yes, I am one of those crazy fanatics that thinks that if you coach the TV, coach the team through the TV, that somehow that means they play better, right? Every game. Luckily, the, um, the finals are almost over, so my wife only has to endure for three more games. And then she gets a short break. <laughs> Um, you know, but I'm just so uh, thankful to be here. Thankful for Pastor Valerian and all the help that he's done um, at Highland down in Fitchburg over the years. He's been such a blessing when I've needed to step away. He's always somebody that is faithful to come help us. So I'm so glad that I get to return the favor um, for him while he's away. Um, but anyway, let's, uh, let's get into our, our text this morning. What I'd like to do is if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark. Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. Um, we're going to be reading verses 35 through 41. I would just like to start by reading the text, praying over it, and then jumping right into things this morning. But, man, just so uh, encouraged by the songs that we sang this morning that fit perfectly with what we're going to be talking about. All right, so chapter 4, starting in verse uh, 35. This is a story that we're all pretty probably pretty familiar with Jesus calming that great storm there on the sea. Starting in verse 35, it reads, On that day when evening had come, he had said to them, speaking of Jesus, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, with, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm, and he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for what we get to do this morning. Thank you for the privilege of being able to worship you corporately. Lord, thank you for the fact that we get to be with you right now in this very moment in your presence. Thank you, Lord, that we are welcome we understand that without Jesus dying for the cross for our sins, none of us are worthy to worship you. 
None of us are worthy to have a relationship with you. None of us could have our sins forgiven. So, Lord, what we do this morning is such a great privilege. May we never lose that awe, Lord, that we can be with you, that we can be your friend, that we can know you intimately. That, Lord, you desire to hear from us. You desire to hear us sing praises to you. Lord, thank you for your word that is filled with your promises, that is faithful, that is, it's not like any other book. It is inspired by you, by your Holy Spirit. It is divine. It gives us everything we need to know you. So thank you for it. Thank you that we can learn from it. We ask that the power of your spirit would be strong upon us this morning, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that your spirit would be speaking to us, empowering us. Change us more into the image of Jesus this morning. Help us to leave here differently than when we walked in. Lord, help us to just get to know you and feel you a little bit more personally and intimately this morning. Thank you that your mercies, Lord, are new. That when we woke up, you don't hold anything against us. Your mercy is new. Your spirit is with us. So be with us right now in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So this morning, we're going to be talking about the storms of life, right, as you can see here uh, from our text. So before we jump into our main points this morning, there are uh, three of them. I'll, I'll kind of shout them out as we go. But the storm, I just want to clarify, what do we mean by storms of life? Well, storms of life are simply, they're, they're trials. They are difficult challenges and obstacles that we must endure. Whether, whether you're a believer or not, everyone has to endure obstacles and challenges in life. Things happen that are out of our control. Right? And sometimes these storms, they can be a result of, of living in a broken and fallen sinful world, right? Nothing works like it's supposed to, like it was originally intended to. And other times, the trials that we face, the storms that we face can actually be the result of spiritual attack from the enemy, right? Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12 uh, Paul told, he, and he exhorted the Ephesian church, he said, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Right? So sometimes the storms we face, they're not a coincidence. They're not an accident. They, they are a direct spiritual attack from the enemy who is just trying to thwart the advancement of the gospel, the advancement of the kingdom. All right? But in any, in any case, either scenario, the story here in Mark, uh, it gives us wisdom on how we should view the storms of life. How can, we, how can we properly respond and how God ultimately uses them for our good, right? Romans 8, 28. I love this passage right here because it just feels, gives us so much hope and encouragement. It says, and we know, right? Not that we hope, we know, 100% confidence that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose, right? Amen. All storms work together for good. The storms of life 
work together for our good. No matter what the root cause of that storm is, God is going to use it for our good, for those who love him. Right? So those are the storms of life. So our, our first point here, point number one, if you're taking notes or whatever, point number one is this. Storms should be expected, right? Storms should be expected. The first thing we take away from our story, from our text this morning, is that stuff happens. Life happens. Storms are part of the journey as followers of Christ. They happen to us on an individual level. They happen to us on a corporate church level, right? Jesus and the disciples went through many storms as they ministered. Right? Jesus, let's just look at some of the things that we see uh, throughout the New Testament. Right? John, just as Jesus speaking, John 16, 33, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Right? As followers of Christ, we are told that storms are going to be part of life, but with me you can have peace. Uh, James 1 verse 2, right? James, the half-brother of Jesus. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And then, of course, we already read Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, which, which talks about Satan is always scheming, right? He's always trying to find a way to throw us off, to distract us. 1 Peter 4, 12, right? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening, right? I love that phrase at the end. He says, it's not strange for storms to be a part of your life. It's a normal thing, right? Don't be surprised when those things happen, right? I was thinking here in our text, we have the disciples who are walking with Jesus. They left everything. They sacrificed everything. They left their homes, their families to follow Jesus, and yet they're finding themselves in the middle of a storm that they believe is going to take their life, right? It's interesting. These guys are skilled fishermen. They're experienced. They've probably been on this body of water a ton of times. And yet, for whatever reason, it seems as though they have never seen a storm of this magnitude. And so they're so scared that even in all their years of fisherman experience, they're waking up Jesus because they just don't know what else to do. All right, so storms are a part of life. I, I think this, past, this message, it's so, in this passage, it's so relevant um, all the time, but especially for right now, right, with this COVID-19 pandemic just not seeming to want to go away. Our economy is getting affected in all types of ways, right, especially in, in our area. I don't know how it is here, but there's been so many families in our area of Fitchburg who can't get their hands on baby formula, it, you know what I mean? Whoever would have thought that we would be, that parents would be struggling to feed their newborn babies because the shelves are, are empty with formula, right? All sorts of things going on, things we would have never expected. But now, uh, let's see how we can truly embrace the storms of life. We can come out better in the end, right? Storms, they don't need to defeat us, they don't need to keep us hopeless. They don't need to keep us down. They can actually make us better, right? So that's point number one, is that storms should be expected. Let's not consider it weird um, when they happen in our lives, when we, when we come across them um, as a body of the church, right? So that's point number one, storms should be expected. 
Point number two, this one's a little bit longer. Uh, Storms have a purpose, right? So not only should storms be expected, but as I've kind of already alluded to, they have a purpose. God uses them um, for our good. Remember in the story, it was Jesus's idea to take the boat to get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, to escape the people, to get a brief time of rest, Right? Jesus was, he was so exhausted from ministry that he was asleep in the back of the boat in this crazy storm because he was just giving himself so much to the people. But what's interesting is, of course, Jesus being God, the storm is of no surprise to him. Right? He would have he seen it coming. But yet he told his disciples, let's get in the boat, let's go and I'm going to take a nap in the back. (laughs) You guys get us there. Right? He's telling them to go to a destination, but he knows the journey to that destination is going to be bumpy. It's not going to be smooth. But he's going with them to the other side. So the first purpose that storms have is they test our faith. Right? Jesus is testing the faith of the, of the disciples. Now, before I go any further, I'm never, I don't like to be one of those people that looks at the reaction of disciples and say like, man, how could they do that? I think the disciples have the reaction that you and I probably would have had if we were in the boat, right? They're everyday people just like you and I. They're frail human beings like you and I, right? I think their reaction would have been our reaction if we were in the same predicament. But the first purpose that storms have is they test our faith. Our reaction in the midst of a storm ultimately shows our faith. It shows us where we stand. Up until this point, the disciples, they had witnessed. They'd been right there. They'd seen Jesus performing miracles, healing people, exercising authority over unclean spirits. But they were still lacking in their faith. They still had... Um, more to mature in. So the storm was, going, was revealing what was lacking, just as a test, right? We, we're all familiar with tests, right? The point of a test is not actually to learn, right? The, the point of a test is to get you to see where you're lacking, to see where you need improvement. So that's exactly what's going on here. That's what Jesus is using the storm to do. He's using it to reveal to them what needs um, maturity, what needs improvement. Listen to the Apostle Paul, Philippians 3, 12 through 15, and we would all consider the Apostle Paul one of the, probably the greatest church planter evangelist who ever lived. But listen to what he says of himself here in Philippians 3, 12 through 15. Paul says of himself, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, or you can even substitute that word perfect for mature or complete. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. The Apostle Paul, at this point in his ministry, we would consider pretty spiritually mature. 
But yet, in his own words, Paul is saying, I have more to achieve. I haven't obtained. I'm not where I want to be. I'm not the man that I want to be, or I'm not the person that God wants me to be. I'm, I'm, I'm still lacking, so I'm still working at it. The Apostle Paul himself was still working at it. So the same is true for us. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord or the experiences that we've, we've had, there's always room for our faith to grow. There's always room for improvement. Matter of fact, Paul says, though, he says, let those who are mature think this way. Right? So a, a good sign of maturity is realizing I'm not mature, as mature as I think I am. And then I love how at the end, Paul says, well, if anyone thinks otherwise, if, if you don't believe me, well, God will show you. <laughs> God will reveal that to you guys. But those who are mature, let us think this way. Right? Let us continue to, to seek to grow in our faith. All right? So that's what storms do. They test our faith so we can see the areas we need to grow. All right? 1 Peter chapter 1, six, verses 6 and 7. Peter tells us, teaches us, in this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? So we're actually supposed to rejoice in the fact that our faith is getting tested because we know if our faith is tested, it leads us to our second point here under storms have a purpose. Jesus not only tests our faith, but he then matures our faith. Right? Storms reveal where our faith is lacking, but God in his sovereignty uses that very storm, that very trial, that very obstacle to strengthen and mature our faith at the same time. Right, James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Right? Romans 5, 3 to 5 teaches us not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Right? I love that. We rejoice because we know something good is going to happen with that storm. We know that God is going to turn things around. He's going to make us a better person. He's going to increase our faith. We'll be better in the end of it, even though in the midst of it, it might seem hopeless. Right? Some of the, one of the songs that we sung, I forget the exact lyrics, but it talked about how everything around us seems dark. Right? It may appear that the situation is hopeless, but it's never hopeless. The situation is never impossible. In our text, the disciples, they don't know what to do. They're trying to fight the storm. They've never dealt with anything on this level, this magnitude before. So they finally, Jesus is in the back and they wake him up. 
I, I, I'm always curious at the one whose idea it was. <laughs> Come on, go wake up Jesus. No, you wake him up. I'm not waking him up. Just go wake him up. Anyway, they wake him up. And they say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Or, or, or paraphrase, Jesus, do you not see what's going on? Do you not see that we're about to die? Do you not see that we're, water is coming into the boat, right? It's, getting, it's filling in. The situation is not completely hopeless, but it's about to be there in about 2.5 seconds if you don't do something, like right now. So the disciples, they needed, and not just them, but us, right? Because when we see the disciples, we should say, yeah, that's me. They needed to learn a couple of lessons here that we can all learn as well. The first lesson was that even though it seemed like Jesus was oblivious to what was going on in the boat, his care for them never ceased. His presence was always there. He never left. He was right with them. He wasn't oblivious to what was going on. His care for them never stopped. And secondly, what they needed to learn was that Jesus is true to his word. Right? Let's look at back at verse 35 in our text for a second. It says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, right? Jesus said, Let us go across to the other side. It wasn't the disciples' idea. Jesus said, Let us go. So Jesus saying, telling them, let us go to the other side, is in itself a guarantee that they will get there. Because why would Jesus say, let's go to the other side, but they're not going to make it? That's not how God works. When God tells us, let's go over here, that is a guarantee that I will get you there. Amen. It might not be a smooth road. It, it'll probably be bumpy. <laughs> It might take a little bit longer than what you expected. But if Jesus said, we'll get there, then we'll get there. And that's why he could sleep in the back of the boat. Because he already knew they were going to make it to the other side. Nothing was going to stop the plan, so might as well just take a nap. <laughs> that's what the disciples... That, well, that's why Jesus then responded to him, And he said, have you still no faith? It's not that they didn't, they knew Jesus could make a difference, right? They've already seen all the miracles, the healings, all the authority that he already had. That's why they woke him up. But where their faith was lacking was the fact that Jesus had already said, we're going to get to the other side. And they doubted that they were going to make it to the other side. So that's what they had to learn. Was that Jesus, if when Jesus says something, when God leads you to do something and it's clear that God wants you to, whatever it is that he wants you to do, wherever it is he wants you to go, he's going to get you there. He's going to get you there. So that's what they had to learn. So for us, no matter what's going on in the world, in our personal lives, in the church, Jesus' care for us is never-ending. His presence is always right there. He still holds the power and authority 
to bring any storm to an end by simply just speaking a word. Right? Jesus, he didn't even have to lift a finger. He just can speak. And it's done. So we too, we must continue to trust in the promises of his word, right? This word that we have is filled with, with confidence, right? Every word that, everything that Jesus promises here, we know that he will be faithful to fulfill it. We don't have to wake up in the morning wondering about what God's going to do today. Is God, is his character still the same today? No, he, God is the same today as he was yesterday, and he's going to be the same person forever because that's who he is. So we have to trust his promises, trust what he says, right? So he's maturing our faith. And then thirdly, when it comes to the purpose of storms, Jesus then teaches us to fear him, right? Look in our text real quick. Uh, after Jesus rebukes the storm, verse 41 it says, and they were filled, the disciples were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? When our faith is tested and matured, it ultimately leads us to fear God more. That's what we see in our text. At this point in the, li in the lives, the disciples, they're still learning who Jesus is, what he's all about, and to what extent his authority reaches, even though they had seen him do a bunch of things already, they're still connecting the dots. And we see here that they're getting it a little bit more. They were filled with great fear. Right? When I say fear, I'm not referring to being afraid of God. Right? To fear God simply means to have a deep respect of reverence, in awe of God's power and his authority, right? We don't, we don't take God lightly. We know that he is powerful, and we're just in awe of the fact that we can be in a relationship with him, that that God cares for us personally and intimately. When God gets us through a storm, it should leave us recognizing more of his power and his authority. And, and we'll get to the end of it realizing that he was always there. He never left. He's always with us amid the storm. All right, Proverbs 9.10, I'm sure you're familiar with this passage. It tells us, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We have to be in awe of who God is. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. It tells us, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Right? When we come together to worship, we can, never lose, we can never lose that awe, that reverence, that the God of universe, the God of the universe loves to hear our worship. Right? God doesn't need us. He's all powerful. He created everything. We're just speaking it into existence. 
He has thousands upon thousands of angels. But yet God desires to hear from you and me. We can't get over that. We can never lose the awe factor of what we get to do. I always say ministry is not a responsibility, it's a privilege. It's not a duty, it's a privilege that God has given us through Jesus. The last point is point number three is that storms are temporary. Right? The storm didn't last forever. Jesus put an end to it and he got them through the other side. Right? First Peter five, verse ten says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Right? God is not trying to destroy us. He's for us. He's just trying to make us stronger. He's trying to make us more mature. Matter of fact, not just that, but God is trying to draw you into a more intimate, deeper, personal relationship with him. We get to be God's friend. Like, legitimately his friend. Somebody who you can talk to anytime. Right? Somebody that you can depend on. Somebody who cares for you more than anybody in this world has ever cared for you. Who knows all the number of hairs that are on your head. Right? So God is even using the storms to get us to understand and feel the magnitude of his love for us. That personal, intimate relationship. While we are, mid the, while we are in the middle of the storms of life... We need to focus on the promise that the storm of what the storm will accomplish rather than the present problem we're facing. Right? We have to look forward to the other side. Because of that, we can re truly rejoice in our sufferings, right? That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 4.13. He tells us to rejoice in our sufferings. We should also focus, as I've already alluded to, on the day when we will no longer face storms, right? There's a better life. This life is not our best life. There's something better, more perfect that is yet to come. Paul in Romans 8, 18, who suffered a lot for the advancement of the gospel, he said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. When we get to heaven, none of us are going to look back and say, man, <laughs> right? We're just, we're just going to be in awe of the fact that we can be in God's presence forever, that we don't have to deal with this stuff anymore. Matter of fact, I think when we get to heaven, we're going to wish that we could have suffered for Christ even more than we did. So to end this point, also I do want us to point out quickly what happens on the other side of the storm. Right? When the disciples and Jesus get to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they get to see Jesus miraculously free a man who has been uh, demonized by a legion of demons. Thousands of demons are in control of this guy. He, he can't make his own decisions because he is so spiritually oppressed. And of course, Jesus takes care of that fairly easily. And then the whole it caused a whole town to marvel. Matter of fact, they were so scared, they told Jesus and the disciples, can you please just get out of town? We don't want you here. We don't know what's going on with you, but please, 
right? That's what came. A miracle came at the end of the storm. It's very plausible that the storm uh, could have been a demonic attack to prevent them from what was going to happen take place on the other side of it, right? A miracle, someone getting freed who's been in bondage, enslaved for years. Somebody who the society had deemed hopeless or the situation with him is impossible. But as we sung this morning, nothing's impossible with God, right? So God did something great on the other side of the storm. So the application this morning, I want to speak to those who are followers of Jesus, those of you who have accepted the gift of salvation, who have placed your faith in Jesus, what he's done for you on the cross. The question for you, the questions for you to wrestle with this morning is what might God be teaching you in the storm that you're going through? Right? I'm sure there are some here going through some storms. I don't know anybody here on that level. Um, I don't know what's going on in your lives, but with this many people here, I'm sure there are some storms happening. What might be God trying to teach you in the midst of that storm? What areas of your faith is he trying to reveal that need improvement? Are you allowing the storm to get the best of you, or are you allowing it to do its refining process and mature your faith? Do you find yourself complaining and panicking amid the storm rather than rejoicing as we're supposed to do? What areas of your spiritual maturity may God be trying to strengthen? Right? Those are all questions for you to wrestle with. And then for those of you who have, maybe it's your first time here, maybe you're watching online, uh, maybe you know about God, but you wouldn't necessarily consider yourself a follower of Jesus. So the question for you simply this morning is, what are you going to do with Jesus? What are you going to do with the guy with just a word, calmed an entire storm. Many times, God, God uses life storms to get our attention. Even unbelievers, even if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. If you're in the midst of a storm right now, that's God trying to get your attention. He's trying to draw you to himself. Right? It's not a coincidence. And it's not a coincidence that you're listening to this this morning. God wants to make himself real to you. He wants to make himself known personally to you. He wants to have a personal, intimate relationship with you. He wants you to get to know him on a whole nother level. Just as he did with the disciples in the boat. So if that's you this morning... Grab somebody. You can grab myself, grab anybody in this church. They would love to chat with you more about what that means, how you can know God personally and have an intimate relationship with him. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the fact that we can be in your presence right now in this very moment. Thank you for the story that's been recorded for us. Lord, thank you that no matter what is going on in our lives, we know that you can, you can stop everything in an instant. You can take an impossible, hopeless-looking situation and you can turn it around.
Thank you, Lord, that the storms in our life have a purpose, a good purpose, an edifying purpose, a building up purpose. Thank you that we can take you at your word, that we can trust you. Thank you, Lord, that you have our best intentions at mind. Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you don't want to keep us in that state of immaturity, that you're always trying to improve our faith, improve our character. You're always making us better. So we thank you for that this morning. Lord, thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, thank you that we can have a personal relationship with you. We know that we're not worthy to be at your throne right now. But because of what Jesus did, your word says that we can come to your throne boldly. And we are invited. Help us to never lose that sense of awe and wonder of what we get to do. Be with us right now as we continue to sing and praise you. And we just ask that your Holy Spirit would be working right now, ministering to us in the ways that we need ministering to. Lord, give us the faith in the storms that we're facing to trust you, to know that you're accomplishing something good. Give us the strength to rejoice rather than complain. Lord, help us to look forward to the miracle you're going to perform at the end of that storm. And thank you that we can just be a part of this great journey with you to advance your kingdom, to lead others to Jesus. Thank you for the privilege that we have to be ministers of, uh, of reconciliation, to lead others to you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.